Caution to listeners, the following podcast includes content of a graphic or distressing nature. Uh, Growing up um, in an abusive, violent home um, in a very small rural community, Um, my mother could not speak the language in our community. So she was absolutely isolated. And she had nowhere that she could turn. My desire was to become an architect because I love designing. But I got married fairly young, I was only 20. And uh, he was about the same age. And I mean, uh, I grew up in an environment many years ago where it was like girls were to get married and have kids and that was their life. And uh, I was quite, quite young because of my previous history with uh, a lot of um, childhood sexual abuse and other traumas. And so got married, I had my daughter, just when I turned, just before I turned 21. In 1932, American author and naturalist Mary Austin wrote her autobiography, Earth Horizon. Through her life, she wrote prolifically as a novelist, poet, critic, and playwright. For 17 years, she lived and worked in the Moave Desert, making poignant study of its flora, fauna, and people. She was an early feminist and defender of Native American and Spanish American rights. Yet, when Mary sat down to write her autobiography, she dedicated much of it to the unspoken abuse she witnessed her fellow women receive at the hands of their husbands, partners, and fathers. In Earth Horizons, Mary wrote, Somebody must say these things, while there is still living witnesses to the social sequences of this period. Did Mary think that 90 years later, there would still be thousands of living witnesses to this kind of abuse? In this episode, we will learn exactly what is at stake if we allow abuse to once again go unspoken. If support systems like THANs are deemed too insignificant to properly fund. You have already heard the voices of Brenda and Flo, who wished to share their stories of past abuse, which occurred at a time and a place when transition houses were not readily accessible. We will also return to the story of Ginger, whose insights have been included throughout this series. All three women regularly reflect on how different their stories might have been if they could have accessed a transition house. After a young marriage, Brenda realized very quickly that the relationship was not turning out as she had always hoped. Life was challenging, but I didn't understand what was wrong with it. And my son was born about three years later, and that was the first time in my life that I'd ever experienced any physical violence. Um, But I had never expected someone I married to lay their hands on me. And uh, so I was in total shock. And... I don't think I even thought about reaching out to someone else and getting help. 
and I don't think I would ever have called the police because he was a police officer. And the only friends we had were police officers, and I knew how strongly they they backed each other up. And uh, there weren't any transition houses. This was 1970. I don't think there was, I looked it up one time, I don't think there was a single transition house or specific women's shelter all across Canada, there was none. And so I had nowhere to go. And the message at that time was, whatever happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. And my mother's advice was, you have to put up with whatever you have to, to keep a marriage together. Flo was just a child when her mother began experiencing violence at the hands of Flo's father. There, she had nobody she could talk to about what was going on, not only because she couldn't speak the language, but because of the stigma and the shame. And these, these issues were not spoken about when I was growing up. It was very hush-hush in our community. Many of the community members knew it was never anything that was talked about until later on as me and my siblings became older and went off to school. So my mother had to spend, I can't even begin to tell you how many nights locked out of our home with nowhere to go. And she spent entire nights sitting outside behind our shed by herself. The trauma that she experienced by, by not having anywhere to go, not anyone to turn to for support, affected her the rest of her life. Brenda can attest to how deep the trauma of abuse can run. Even today, it profoundly affects her. She fiercely believes in the importance of having a network of transition houses to advocate for and protect women in similar situations to what she experienced. I know how hard it is to reach out. I know what it does to your mind, to your emotions, to your sense of worth. And I've been there at a time when there was nowhere to go. So a transition house is really important to me because it's the thing that can save a woman's life and save her children's lives. Um, because I'm very well aware that beatings aren't the only thing that happen, that when guns become involved, your life is on the line. The one thing that broke through the denial that I had was was one of the last times that I was assaulted. And uh, as I was being repeatedly kicked in the head, it suddenly came to me, I'm not afraid of dying. I don't want to leave my kids, but I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid that I'll be left a vegetable. And that's when I realized this has to stop. I have to start talking to anybody and everybody 
because I don't deserve this. My kids don't deserve this. Flo appreciates that victims of abuse need professional support to effectively help them and break the cycle of abuse and trauma that can occur. As I became older when I was growing up, um, I became my mother's support person. And no child should ever be in that role as a child. The impact that that had on my life has been huge. And I still carry a lot of that with me even now. Um, women need to have someone who will listen and care for them and help them with the complexity of challenges that they are facing. After the traumatic realization that she no longer feared death, Brenda began to prepare to move on from her abusive relationship. The process was painfully slow, with many, many lows. But it was also empowering. So I stayed in a relationship for a very long time. And even as time went on and I learned more, I reached out to people, but most of them were just, they went silent. And that was the end of the conversation. And then I had a chance to go back to school. Uh, I'd been out of school at that point for about 17 years. And I, I had decided that I wanted to learn how to help people. Um, it had been something I'd always been interested in and I'd taken a number of parenting courses because I wanted to be a really good parent. And so I thought, I'll go back to school and I'll take counseling. And I wasn't even sure I'd get accepted, but I did. I was accepted at York University in the counseling program. And it was while I was going through that, that I was in my third year and my whole life blew up. That's when I ended up having to go into counseling. And that, that lost my, I didn't get to finish my, I was in an honors degree and I didn't get to finish it because it just, I was just a mess. And you can't deal with one, one issue of abuse without recognizing the other. And that's when I realized how abusive the relationship I was in was, had become and was actually getting worse. And um, I got connected with Education Wife Assault. I studied, I think I read every article and every book they had there. And I learned and I began, then became able to name things. And I also began talking. <laughs> Before that, it hadn't been okay to say things because people went silent. But I, at that point, I began saying, this is not okay. And when people say, how are you doing? Rather than my normal fine, <laughs> I would tell them, I'd say, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm in counseling right now. This is what I'm going through. And I didn't expect what would happen as a result of that. And when I spoke about it, I suddenly found myself being asked to travel and meet with women and talk to women and give speeches. And I ended up traveling all across Southern Ontario 
once a month, I would do a trip right across from Windsor, um, even at one point into Montreal, for people to just learn, you know, what I had experienced, what I was going through. That's when I also really learned that abuse and abuse go together. Because um, I had to meet with one woman who um, her partner had threatened to blow her kneecap off and take her out into the the woods and just shoot her and leave her there. And so I had to become very familiar then with, with domestic violence, not only how it affected me, but how it affected others and the different kinds it could be. And then I moved here to Nova Scotia from Ontario and um, saw an ad and I applied. And that was 2004 and I ended been working at Chrysalis House ever since. For Flo, her life changed when she heard about Chrysalis House, one of the transition houses in the THANS organization. She realized her personal experience of childhood trauma could actually do some good and be used to help others. When I first heard there was a Chrysalis House and that this was a, a, a place that women who were experiencing violence and abuse could go with their children, I knew I had to be part of that. I knew that that's where I was meant to be. So I now am entering my 30th year at Chrysalis House and it is my life work. And I am, I am committed to this work in a very deep, heartfelt way. I know the impact that growing up in a home where my father, who suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder from being in the war, and because the only support that he got while he was away at the age of 17 was alcohol at the end of their day to deal with the trauma that they faced, knowing the difference and the impact that by having a shelter where a woman can go with her children and feel safe and be supported throughout the entire transition and to be able to deal with her trauma is essential. We can't go back to a day where that is not available to women. We cannot go back to a time where a woman has to sit outside, locked out of her home in the cold. My name is Ginger McPhee, and I'm the executive director of Chrysalis House, which is a women's shelter in the Valley. Well, the Chrysalis um, came from that idea of the protective pod around a caterpillar before, before you turn into a butterfly. Ginger's life came full circle. After fleeing her abusive partner to Chrysalis House with her infant daughter, battling for custody, and returning to school, she ended up coming back to where it all began. She is now the executive director of Chrysalis House and works alongside other survivors like Flo and Brenda. 
Like her colleagues, she was inspired by those who helped her when she needed it most. One of the things that the staff had encouraged me to do was think about what I wanted to do with my life and, you know, what was next for me and was there anything kind of that I wanted. And I had wanted to go back to school. And so they really encouraged me to do that. So I went to university. Um, when my daughter started school, I started school. Um, but in the meantime, while I was uh, attending university, I became a member of the board of directors for the organization So and eventually became chair of the board. So I had a few different roles there and, um, and, then, and then, like I said, became chair of the board. And so I learned... Uh, a lot of information from a, a wide variety of perspectives about the organization. And of course, the more time that I spent with uh, the people involved with the organization, the more I wanted, knew I wanted to do more with them, that it was something that I was really passionate about. And the, you know, the philosophy, philosophy and belief behind the work that they do was so meaningful to me. First of all, I think that the directors that work at the Transition House Association are amazing women with very strong skills in many areas. And, you know, one of the challenges and great things about the role is that you kind of have to have this, you know, jack of all trade uh, when you walk in the door because you don't know what, you know, what you're going to be dealing with from one day to the next. And it's constantly changing so to, to step into that role as having been a woman who actually stayed at the shelter is very humbling to feel like, you know, you can be at the lowest point of your life or what feels like the lowest point of your life and feel like you have nothing to offer anyone and then, you know, find yourself a number of years later in a position where you know, not only do you know how painful and difficult and um, challenging it is to, to walk through those doors and ask for help, but then to be on the other side of that experience and be able to offer other women not only the empathy and compassion and desire to help change their lives, but to, to know really what it feels like to have taken that step and to be able to show them that if you, you know, if you change your life and work hard at, at your, at your goals, that anything is possible for you. And so, you know, I've had women who have come to stay at the shelter who learned that I stayed there. It's not something I talk about all the time, but in fact, I, I didn't talk about it a lot before, but th this woman certainly had an impact on me. Um, she had she had found out that I stayed there and asked me about it and of course I you know I said yes I, I had stayed at the shelter a number of years ago and and how much it changed my life and you know she first of all she said well why aren't you talking about that that's amazing right it's it's wonderful that that experience happened to you and look where you are now and she said that's just so inspiring for me and it gives me hope and it makes me realize that I can change my life. And so I hope that you talk about it more because it's really powerful. And so, you know, I, I had already been talking about it somewhat, 
and uh, and it just made me realize that we really do need to show women that anything is possible for them and that those challenges are not going to prevent them from from moving forward in their lives. Transition houses are not just places where women go when they need help. They are communities of like-minded women, many of whom have been through the exact same thing. Brenda, Flo, and Ginger lead by example to show that there is a life after abuse. There is a chance of happiness and success and love. In the next and final episode, we will look more closely at the fans organization itself. Because there's lack of awareness of who we are, we don't have the public backing us to bring that attention to the government. What is on the horizon for transition houses in Nova Scotia? And how can we all help support their impactful and important work? You have been listening to Somebody Must Say These Things, an eight-part series spotlighting violence against women in Nova Scotia. We all have a responsibility to support and advocate for victims of violence against women. Do your part to help make the Transition House Association of Nova Scotia 100% government-funded. FANS exists to eliminate violence against women in Nova Scotia. Their organizations provide a full range of support services to women and children in a safe, supportive environment and provide survivors of violence with opportunities to learn about available resources and alternatives to facilitate informed personal choices and decisions. The vital work they do is constantly threatened by unstable, inconsistent funding. Ask your government representative to advocate for long-term, stable funding for THANs and help end violence against women. For more information, visit thans.ca. That's T-H-A-N-S dot C-A. starter.